Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to another working from home edition of Queer Talk, a queer podcast that takes a look at positive news stories through a rather lovely queer lens. We're all dining in remotely again, but still bringing you some positive queer news. This week, we'll also be joined down the line by Rob Holly, a journalist for The Independent and creator of Eurovision Again. We'll be discussing what made him create Eurovision Again and why the LGBTQ plus community show so much love to Eurovision. Welcome to Queer Talk. Hi. Hi. So as mentioned in the intro we are all still in isolation but we are very grateful to still have the ability to record and release episodes from the comfort of our own homes. So this week we've all brought in some news articles as we do every week and I feel like we should just dive straight into it. So the article I found is um one about uh, Asia uh, having their first LGBT streaming site and it's dubbed the Gay Netflix obviously in the media. And it's called Gaga Ooh La La, which is a uh, quite a fancy name if you don't think so. Maybe I do like that name. Could you that imagine? Fabulous. Be like, let's just Gaga Ooh La La and chill. <laughs> <laughs> but but the um, the name Gaga Ooh La La comes from Taiwan, and there are two different slang terms for gay and lesbian. Oh really? Yeah. So it's, it, it there is some meaning to the name. Oh no, it's nothing to do with Lady Gaga, unless that's where the slang term comes from. You know, from Bad Romance, it's like ra ra ah uh, ah, uh, you know, like that. I thought it was like Gaga ooh la yeah. la. If they haven't made that promo video, they need to do that now. Yeah, ridiculous. I'll do it. Uh, so uh, the article talks about how this streaming service has been around for a few years. Uh, started off in Taiwan, and it's been in twenty-one different Asian countries. In May this year. Conveniently timed with coronavirus uh, lockdown and everyone watching more Netflix and online streaming services, uh, they're going to be rolling out to 190 countries, wow. which is a massive expansion for them. Uh, but it means that there'll be people in countries where there's same-sex bans still exist. They'll have access to content which other service providers may have censored. So it's really good just to be able to give people access to that kind of content. At the moment, most of the content is mostly Western LGBT TV shows, but they're bringing in more Asian uh, LGBT content as well. And that was kind of like when I read this, I just thought, oh, this is like a really good progressive little piece, and it's also very not related to lockdown too much. So it was kind of seeing like, like a nice queer light on the other side of the world happening. That's really good though, because I think like Mufsine and I can kind of remember back in school what it was like to not really have access to any kind of LGBT media because Section Twenty Eight was still a thing when we were at school because it was only abolished in two thousand and three. Yeah, I'm not purposely excluding Spencer meanly, but more so because of the age difference. I think Spencer, it wouldn't have been so much of a thing, or it would have been abolished when. When you were in school, yeah, I wasn't、um, aware of it at all. Yeah, so to make it clear, just 
I'm 30, um, and Spencer is 21, and Mufsin is just shy of 30. Um, so <laughs> I'm only just so turning 29. I don't know why you're throwing my age out there. <laughs> but you know, it's it's more just a case of like we can remember to a certain extent what it was like in school, going through our uh, sort of early teens, not being able to have access to any kind of LGBTQ plus media in terms of video yeah. um, within school. You know, so to uh to be able to have access to that i think we all know how much that means as individuals um although i can also completely appreciate that we live in a country where there are no bans around same-sex relationships so you know it must also be great to have access to that even though your country's laws are let's say not as positive um and yeah i think it's a really good move but obviously it would be it would be great if these countries also, you know, didn't have these same sex bans there. Hopefully it kind of educates people. Hopefully people who are non LGBT in these countries will watch these things and hopefully get somewhat an education and that hopefully it will change views and kind of thoughts and stuff in these countries and it could it could it could lead to a lot of progressive change politically. I mean um, even just having it out there is very important. Yeah, having it out there is important, but I think with this service, there won't be many non-LGBT people who are subscribing to an LGBT service. Uh, so I feel sure. like this is very targeted to the LGBT population in those countries. And like like you said, James, we're still of that generation where we were up late at night watching stuff like Queer as Folk. And that was just like the only LGBT content that we could uh, consume at that age. Especially for me, because I was like very in the closet and didn't want anyone knowing that I was watching it. But I just trying to think about what it's like in Asian countries where obviously not all Asian countries, but some Asian countries still have same sex bans. Uh, it was only last year that Brunei, there was loads of protests around the world pressuring the Brunei government not to impose a death penalty for gay sex. And luckily those protests yeah, were because successful. Because didn't they impose it? Did, yeah, because did they not impose it? And then all of a sudden there, there was a massive backlash people were like don't stay at their hotels yes and then all of a sudden they were like oh no right okay we're gonna rewind we're not gonna yeah. do that we're gonna back out of that you know they basically got pressured by you know the global markets and governments to not impose this legislation uh, and i don't think they removed the legislation they just said publicly that they won't be enforcing those legislations and they won't be stoning people to death for gay sex but, it, you know, it's amazing what uh, some people will not do when they see that their finances are impacted mm. by something. Hey. <laughs> Interestingly, this service, Gaga Ulala, is available in Brunei. So for those who feel oppressed in certain countries, they'll have some sort of at least escapism and education and, you know, just a connection to queer culture. And we all know how important that is. The story I picked up this week was Halle Berry, the Oscar winner and Catwoman star, who shared a clip of her six-year-old son online strutting up the stairs in their home wearing his mum's heels. The video is hilarious. It's not at all classy, sassy, which people kind of made out that this, you know, this kid's strutting around doing his thing. He obviously didn't fit into the shoes and was barely standing up. Like, it was hilarious. And then, like, going up the stairs, my heart was in my, like, stomach the whole time. Like, he's this kid's going to fall down these stairs. But that was apparently not the biggest problem here. The problem was that a little boy shouldn't be wearing high heels, which I was completely offended by because I spent my whole life doing that. It quite accurately represents what I would look like trying to walk in heels. I, I don't know if you guys have tried heels on before. But... I've very unsuccessfully tried heels on. I'm size 11, so <laughs> it's hard to get heels my size. Right. So I'm a size 13. Um, oh my God, what? And 
I will say that, yes, finding heels of a certain size is difficult, although I did manage to find them. I would say look at pleaser heels, pleaser heels. I got some for Pride. I got four inch ones. And I remember walking around in the office in them and people were giving me looks, but I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Um, And then I also managed to find... I think it was five inch or six inch heels and I wore them to a party once. So by the end, I was about six foot. I would say I was about six foot ten with the hair as well. Yes, heels are not comfortable. Wow. Maybe we should leak these images. We absolutely should. If we want to get any more. I mean, they're all on my Instagram. They're all on the Instagram. We'll we'll retweet and we'll repost all the images of you. Unfortunately, Halle Berry had a huge backlash on her social media because people were commenting saying things like, you know, I hope that that's the daughter and not the son and nothing about this video is fun. And these seem to be comments we see all too often and they've become very, very boring, um, but still quite hurtful. Hallie didn't take this line down. She responded with a very bright statement. She said, well, it's a he and he isn't having an absolute ball, trying to cope the best he can. Laughter helps a lot right now. It's very tight on these kids right now. Let's have a laugh and show some compassion. And I think, like, she didn't go after anyone. She wasn't angry. She was just like, hey, all the kids are locked inside because of the current situation. Let them do whatever, like, you know, let them have a laugh. Let let us be a family and have a laugh. And, like, I don't know where I stand on this whole, like, sharing your kids on social media constantly, but I think this was a super fun video. And, like, they genuinely saw some light in what is a very shit situation. And so what? Like, why Why do people feel the need to comment? Yeah, I mean, what people have to remember is when they're saying these comments, they are trolling, but they're also bullying a child. They're not just bullying yeah. Halle Berry. They're bullying a child. And she, as a mother, is just saying, you know what? Back the fuck off. Literally. And that's great. Like, more power to her, to be honest. I'd rather Halle Berry than someone like Lewis Hamilton, who decided to um, share a video, I think it was via Snapchat, where basically he put his small nephew on blast because his small nephew had uh, was wearing a dress um and he took the phone camera and then went up to the the nephew and the nephew was clearly having a fun time in this dress and he was like little boys don't wear dresses um and it just it massively kicked off online for for obvious reasons um and then you know you're gonna get the kind of the pr firefighters coming out there and you know lewis hamilton saying yeah you know everyone should be able to do what they want and all this bollocks so absolutely like more power to Halle Berry because the thing is that I would rather have someone like Halle Berry embracing her child's kind of like wants and desires to be to be able to have some fun rather than someone like Lewis Hamilton who was putting um, someone else's child on blast for doing the exact same thing. So no power to Halle Berry. I just hope that other parents of uh, potentially queer children um, are as supportive as Halle Berry is. Um, And even if uh, the child is not LGBTQ+, you know, at least Halle Berry is not restricting their behaviour and is allowing them to express themselves how they want to be, which I think is fabulous. So I remember, obviously, being a child and um, every weekend, me and my sisters at my dad's house would put on a show because I was quite bossy and quite performative constantly. We've never noticed that at all. (laughs) Yeah, nothing's changed. I mean, I'm more so now, but as a kid, I was super shy, but actually like not at home. So my sisters had all these dresses, they had everything. And like when I used to go there on the weekend, I'd just be thrilled to like empty their wardrobe, put it all on. I'd be like, right, do my makeup. Bear in mind, we were all like eight years old and like I looked a state. 
and I'd always play the lead female character. So we'd do like Cinderella one week, we'd make up our own shows where like I'd be every character, uh, musicals, like I'd, I'd have like a CD out of the car and I'd be like, let's all perform like SOS by Rihanna while we all dance to Cinderella. Like it was wild um, and absolutely awful. My parents absolutely hated it. But then when I came out to them, they reminded me of all this and they were like, yeah, we know, which was super cute of them to do. So have you two ever, I mean, James just revealed quite a lot that I, I wasn't aware of, but I'm, I'm very excited to do a little stalking after, after we're done recording. Have you guys ever dressed up differently or, yeah, done drag or anything? Yeah, I've done drag, like, what, maybe four or five times now, I think. It requires a lot of work, a lot of shaving, and the outfits are... The outfits I've worn anyway have never been the most comfortable things in the world and your scalp gets very hot under a wig from what I've noticed. So uh, Yeah, that's what I remember yeah. as well. I only dressed up in drag once at university and I shaved my armpits and they grew back ingrown. It was just the most painful thing ever. Oh. I know. But yeah, I do also remember that your wig feels like a furnace under your underneath. I remember I shaved my, like, I shaved around my ankles because I was wearing these three-quarter length, like, leopard print tights. So for a period of, like, a month, I think, there was just, like, this bald patch on the lower part of my leg because of where I'd shaved. It was a really stupid idea. And then I remember one time I did it and I didn't shave my belly and my belly was on show and I was like, I can't be asked, guys. Honestly, I'm not, not doing it. Not doing it at all. <laughs> But yeah, I remember I was in these like five inch heels, I think it was. And I think I lasted about 90 minutes. And a lot of people were just kind of looking at me. It was a work party and I was the host. Um, <laughs> and I just remember a lot of people like looking at me. And then a couple of people were like, are you all right? Are you in pain? I was like, I'm in abject fucking agony. Like my toes, my big toes were just, oh my God. Like first they're on fire and then all of a sudden they start to become numb. And you kind of just hobble like you're some kind of Resident Evil extra. So that's one of the other reasons. Okay. And I was meant to walk in Pride last year in the heels. Um, and after 40 minutes my the like of just waiting around, my carbs were on fire. I was like, nah, fuck this. I'm going in flats. <laughs> so I spent 70 odd quid on these heels to only end up with them like being tossed under a table. <laughs> So, Jesus. you know, never you at least got a picture in them, right? Yeah, it's on my Instagram. Like Amazing. I said. Your Instagram, everything's on your Instagram. I need to go through it to find all these um, Jim images that I can blackmail with you later. Uh, to answer your question, Spencer, when I was growing up, I was in a household of, you know, full of women. I had five sisters. I had a lot of female cousins that would come around. And I remember like, what you were saying about dancing to SOS Rihanna. Like We were doing the same thing, but to Spice Girls songs. And we would do the same routines. And I'd be the only boy who's doing it with my female cousins. So we would always be playing around in the garden doing these routines. Um, and then also, I remember I always wanted to get my nails painted. Uh, yeah. But my sisters uh, would only let me paint one nail, uh, my little finger. And I guess that's because they thought if I did all ten fingers, that would be too feminine for a boy. But I kind of just, I'm glad to hear that Halle Berry is kind of stuck up for her child uh, posting the video because thinking back to when I wanted all my nails painted, I'm like, how much of a confidence hit was that? Just not being able to do something so simple and how reinforcing it would have been if I could just express myself so like, more freely in those early stages. No, 100% I agree. I think it's it's nice to see that my family went with it, but I also, I'm not 100% that, you know, still being laughed at and kind of, being the odd one out in that situation it's that, that will still carry some kind of like connotation in my mind that like it definitely wasn't what I was supposed to be doing it was like such an excitement and escape from like my normal life with my mum so when I went to my dad's like I became 
Cinderella like it was it was a bit weird that that just kind of all changed like the excitement was crazy and then going back home again was like oh okay I've got to switch that off now so I think I think yeah. it's difficult but I think it's becoming a lot more I'm seeing a lot more kids just doing what the fuck they want these days in terms of dressing up being who they want aspiring to be different characters in films and stuff and it's 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 exciting but also I think kids kind of teaching parents or introducing parents into queer culture without the parents really even thinking that that was going to be something that they would be educated on. And it's really nice to see from certain avenues, such as Halle Berry, seeing someone clearly see their child express a level of queerness and just embracing it. And But also wanting to learn from that as well, because it's not just about the child experiencing things, but also the parent kind of learning about a community at the same time. So it's kind of, you know, it's two streams at once, isn't it? And I think it's fabulous that, like we say, there's someone like Halle Berry in a child's life supporting them. It's great. I think it's good parenting to just allow your children that kind of freedom and space to present themselves in whichever way they want to. And just because your child is wearing heels doesn't necessarily mean, oh, they're gay or, oh, they're queer. But it is also just giving them that space to have a good time as well and have joy, like she was saying. And it goes a long way to tackle toxic masculinity in the uh, quote-unquote straight world. Agreed. Absolutely. Talking of having a good time, James, your story revolves around Eurovision, which is absolutely that. Do you want to tell us what you found? Yes. The story that I'm going to be talking about this week is about Eurovision again, or the creation of Eurovision again. Eurovision again was created by contest fan Rob Holly, um, and he created the Twitter account due to the contest in Rotterdam being cancelled due to COVID-19. Um, and so what Eurovision again is, basically every Saturday for the foreseeable future, Eurovision fans watch a stream together and they live tweet along to it just like they would if the competition was live. Now to kind of keep the excitement going, Eurovision again does not release the uh, year or the stream URL that we're all going to watch until 15 minutes beforehand. So we watch it at 8 o'clock UK time in the evening and they release it at 7.45. So we are all kind of like like kept waiting and guessing to see what happens and people get to vote as well so there's a voting system and uh, then the votes get released at the same time as when um, on the show they are going around to the individual countries to get their news point for each of the countries which is fabulous. And the uh, EBU, the European Broadcasting Union, who operate Eurovision, have also backed the initiative. Um, and what they've done is they are currently making previous competitions available to watch via YouTube. So some of the competitions in recent years have been streamed on uh, YouTube, such as last year, 2018, for example, as well. Um, but some previous competitions, when uh, streaming online was not a thing, are now being made available. So the EBU actually got in contact with Eurovision again and sort of partnered with them um, and last weekend for example we watched uh, Eurovision 2009 together so and that was based in uh, Russia uh, and the winner of which was Alexander Rybak um, with I'm in love with a fairy tale and yeah it was a really really good to just sit there and live tweet with people Eurovision again has also been um, a trending hashtag in uh, the UK and also some other European countries countries uh, last weekend i believe it was the number one trending topic in the uk 
okay. So yeah, it's so good to see that Eurovision fans are kind of finding their way of making sure that they get through the crisis, even though the uh, 2020 competition has been cancelled. I feel like I'm alone here in this podcast in terms of the only person <laughs> hey, that, I'm not that a massive loves Eurovision, Eurovision. Fan, so if Eurovision again is getting people through the lockdown, then I'm all for it. Fair. So yeah, so it's just exciting. Um, Eurovision for me is like gay Christmas, personally. It's a good week. It's a fabulous week, usually, because you have the semi-finals, Tuesday, Thursday, and then you have the final on the Saturday. And kind of tradition for me has become that I go and watch it with my Finnish friend and her Spanish boyfriend. So we have a nice small European get-together and we sit and we just drink gin and eat snacks and watch Eurovision. Um, that sounds so, so cute. But like I said, it's so nice, honestly. We end up just like, getting a little <laughs> which is again it's, it becomes intercontinental because for the last few years we find ourselves just eating like a small asian banquet so uh, we're quite lucky that her boyfriend is a good cook so shout out to tia and shout out to rafa for yeah. accommodating me <laughs> and for rafa making some fabulous uh, asian food so uh, yeah it's uh, it's really really good fun eurovision again so yeah a big shout out to rob um who we're going to be talking to very shortly um just to say thank you for creating eurovision again so that we have another coping mechanism another coping strategy to kind of get through this crisis and we've all got something to kind of get together as a Eurovision community um, just to celebrate that once a week I think it's really cute I think it's really fun so yeah so I'm all for it absolutely I think I haven't followed Eurovision again but drinking gin and eating snacks sounds like a great thing to do I've actually been indulging in that myself just every single night of lockdown which may be a bad thing, I don't know, but... For the gin, I would highly recommend the rhubarb and ginger gin from Lidl. That with... Um, what did I have it with yesterday? I had it with some... Oh, what was it? Like apple... Like um, an apple sparkling presse. Like that. Oh, it's beautiful. <gasps> You're so life. bougie. I hate you. <laughs> Eurovision again is getting you through the lockdown. What's getting you through the lockdown, Spencer? Making these bloody episodes. I'm trying to be as proactive as possible. I don't know if you saw this week. I mean, you definitely did because I threw it in everybody's faces. But I shaved my head. Oh yeah, you did. Not just because it was, tr- not just because it was trending on gay Twitter or just life in general, but because I like to paint my face, and now I've got more time to practice that because I don't do makeup so often when I'm working all the time, and it's a lot easier to do makeup when you don't have like a beard and like hair and everything to to worry about also so like now I can just like literally do my whole head try and attempt to even look remotely cute at the same time so we're going to be expecting a lot more looks from you following your Instagram absolutely you can follow my Instagram at Spen Cooper um soon as soon as James no 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 James is going to edit that bit out we don't need to advertise you (laughs) um (laughs) Um, I think I might go for a man bun I might do the opposite to what people are doing this is this is a new thing because you were discussing a buzz cut already but a man bun would your hair grow long enough for a man bun? I could, I could do both. I could do back, short back and sides and then do a man bun. See how that look goes. I look forward to your housemate trying to do this for you. Yeah, I'm obviously going to put it on um, <laughs> social media so that everyone can see this disaster happening in real time. There, I was I mean, going to say, there will be an Instagram live of Mufsin's yeah. account, so please keep your eyes out on that. I mean, <laughs> we all have to adapt in this environment. Events like Eurovision, Pride, they're all going virtual to survive. I'm going live to survive. <laughs> so what outside of um your sort of like topiary what else are you doing in terms of coping uh, i'm making sure i'm working out every day so me and my flatmate have got a good routine down where we work out at 12 o'clock or five o'clock each day and we agree at the 
in the morning. So that's kind of getting me through it. And also I've started baking banana breads, which I know is another stereotype, but I'm doing it. <laughs> it it does feel a like they're like, right? Yeah, because, it, well, there's like four things, I think, at least that people have turned into if during the lockdown within the queer community. You're either a banana bread baking gay. You're either a newly bleached blonde gay. You are a buzz cut gay. Or you are a runner gay. And I have definitely turned myself into the latter because I'm already blonde. Although my hair is telling me to stop that because um, she's breaking. She's breaking good. So uh, I, I've turned myself into a runner. So today, before I came and recorded with you guys, I ended up doing something like 8K. I, what did I do? I, I walked about 6K and I ran about 8K. So I've done my working out for today because uh, she wants to remain skinny but still consume carbs as an emotional dependency. Mufsin, <laughs> <laughs> you've been jogging as well, right? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I've been jogging a little bit, yeah. Uh, but I'm still not amazing at it, and I do take breaks to walk. But I'm I'm out there for a while say. jogging. But I've only done it twice. Um, I'm just a bit worried. Like I don't want my knees to hurt too much. So no, I agree. <laughs> I usually stop every like one to two kilometers, open grinder, and see if there's anyone in the area. And that's about me. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. I'm not. Even I mean, joking. just a chat. Yeah, just to okay. see who's around. Why not? Okay. See if I recognise any faces in the area. Cause I, like, I've just moved house for the 12th time in six and a half years. So I'm getting used to my new surroundings and seeing what's around. Why the fuck not? And obviously Grinder is the place to go for seeing what's in your local area. In light of Eurovision again, James sat down to have a chat with Rob Holly. Hey, my name is Rob Holly. My pronouns are he and him. Uh, my, my day job, I work for NHS Blood and Transplant, but by night I have a little bit of a career as a DJ and I write about Eurovision quite a lot too. I'm a massive Eurovision fan. Uh, in the episode, we had mentioned that you had started Eurovision again. So can you tell us what Eurovision again is and why you decided to start it? Yeah, sure. So, well, I mean massively disappointed like so many people that Eurovision is not going to happen but like a lot of the fans I was planning to be out there in Rotterdam so I'm I'm, I'm gutted it, it's a big chunk of my year that um that I look uh, that, that leads up to it and I look forward to it but it got me to thinking about the things that I love about the Eurovision Song Contest and it, it in a weird way it's not necessarily about the song contest itself it's about the friendship and the competition and the camaraderie and I, I got to thinking what are the things that I love about Eurovision that I can recreate without having to go to Eurovision or having a Eurovision 
there at all. And one of the things that I really love, and I think we all love, is tweeting along to a Eurovision Song Contest. So got together a couple of friends and said, hey, if we all sync watch an episode of Eurovision and like press play at the same time, and we all use the same hashtag, which is hashtag Eurovision again, that could be quite fun. And, and so we did it one week. I picked a, a secret year that nobody knew about and surprised everyone with it. And it just snowballed. It really, really snowballed on, on Twitter. I, I know Eurovision's popular, but the, the idea of these old contests having a, a massive uh, online following w- without there being Eurovision at all in, in the in the truest sense is, it's phenomenal. Um, so I'm having a lot of fun with it. I was going to say, like, Eurovision, if you look at the Twitter profile of Eurovision, they've got just under, like, half a million followers. So yeah. it's a really, it's a popular thing. And so the last event that we all watched together for Eurovision again was the 2015 show Ooh, with um, Conchita Verst yeah. flying through the air, which, can I just <laughs> say, is one of the most empowering and fabulous things to watch. And obviously, you know, spoiler alert for anyone that's not seen it, uh, Mons kind of came out of 2015 and he's become like this massive sort of like Eurovision star. He's yeah. popular. I didn't even realise, you know, he's, he lives in London now. I never knew that. Oh, um, yeah. I think some yeah. people, funnily enough, after that 2015 contest, what I, I think the people at home don't realise is that as soon as the contest is over, they pack up, that's it. So on the Sunday after the show, it, it's it, it's quite likely that if you're getting a plane, you'll share that plane with someone like Mons Emelo or the winners or, or even Electro Velvet. Um, that, you know, so um, <laughs> it, they've all got homes to go to. And yeah, a lot of them do live in London. Yeah, no, I was I was really really surprised by that. But no, twenty fifteen was a great year, and you also had something like um, I think it was like ten thousand viewers or something like that online. I think someone had mentioned that there was around about ten thousand people watching because you could keep track of it via um, like if you searched to kind of get to an, uh, an up to date number, you would search like Eurovision Song Contest, and because it was streaming, you could see it exactly at that point as to how oh, many people were watching. It. I didn't know that. But yeah, um... so big numbers yeah i mean i know when when you look back at the youtube streamings of it and, and how many viewers they've had i think they've hit about one hundred and fifty thousand, two hundred thousand who have watched that in in the days since uh, as well yeah. as what was um those numbers that were live um in in terms of twitter i mean we've been trending weekly now and um, beating things like britain's got talent which is it's insane i mean to think that there's this show from you know 15 years ago or 16 years ago i can't can't remember athens was 2006 so about 15 14 years ago is beating prime time simon cowell fodder it's uh it's crazy but you know people love eurovision but people just want to watch and be helena's number one i think that's what that is to be honest with you Um, i'm i'm so surprised that she didn't enter with mambo because like someone said if she had entered with mambo she would have got the double let's be honest because that was a fabulous (laughs) song Ah, oh, there's so many songs that the the um the winner could enter the next year, and I I think Emily DeForest would have won with um oh what was the one Way-o, way-o, oh I know what you mean way-o. oh god what was that um 
it's such a good song i can't remember what it was um, uh, rainmaker rainmaker exactly yeah. incredible away, and then away, uh, last week we listened to um conchita do building bridges that was a banger so building bridges is great although yeah. i will say i think that colors of your love or mm, <laughs> maybe firestorm i'd say i think firestorm would have done better than colors of your love oh there's a really really good conchita album on uh the uh on spotify and she's done like a covers version with the vienna symphonic orchestra so there's uh there's a, an amazing uh version of the bond theme moonraker and there's also alanis morissette's uninvited which i just listen to all the time anyway oh god i could talk about that for, <laughs> for so long <laughs> eurovision again has kind of been around for about a month now yeah. and the twitter account is doing pretty well it's got um i think it's just over five thousand followers yep. what's your highlight been so far of the, the kind of your your twitter sorry your um eurovision again experience every week is just incredible i think for me there's several high points each week we add a new element to it so when the voting came in in the second week to see hundreds of people voting in it um that was incredible then when the stars started to notice it so we had cascada noticed that she was trending <laughs> um last ketchup were trending sarah dawn finer who's oh my god sarah she's amazing oh, aka linda woodruff um she <laughs> somehow fits into about four or five different eurovision <laughs> and she's noticed that she keeps uh popping up in some of the episodes so when she noticed that was a, a really big moment getting alexander rye back to introduce uh moscow 2009 was brilliant wow. he was a really good sport about it and daz samson was really good and introduced his year as well in athens which was great but i think that the highlight for me was in week four when i thought oh you know it would be nice to do a bit of fundraising see if anyone's going to give anything and so i started a fundraising page and i set a target of 500 quid thinking oh you know what my friends will all donate and it will be that would be great and put the charity as mermaids who are just incredible the work they're doing at the moment um and and just a really important vital charity so just to be clear, sorry, Rob. So oh. mermaids support um, trans families and also uh, trans children. Yeah, they look after um, young trans and non-binary people um, and and their families. And I, I can only imagine like what it's like at the moment needing that level of support. So you know, all charities are, are going through a really tough time where they're thinking about either suspending or postponing or cancelling some of their services because. I mean, COVID-19, it's just messing up everything. So Mermaids is a big one for me. And um, especially with, I've got so many trans and non-binary friends and, and family that I wanted to do something there. And put up the page thinking, oh, you know, if it makes £100, that would be brilliant. Um, if it hits 500 that would be incredible. And I think the grand total in the end with Gift Aid was about £3,800. That's ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, people just want to help. And... Um, the the Eurovision Song Contest has always been so inclusive and it's a literal platform to see different types of people and um, I I think that's why it's so appealing to the LGBTQ community so the the fact that then the viewers of this silly tweet along would would donate to to a charity is just uh, it's incredible and we're going to do something similar in the one that's coming up on Saturday Something else that did happen to you was the EBU reached out to you. So for those yeah. who don't know, the, they are the Euro, 
European Broadcast Union, and these are the guys who actually operate Eurovision. Oh. So, like, what on earth happened there? Like, how did you feel? Because originally, did you not say you were like, oh my God, I'm going to get a cease and desist yeah, from Yeah, I honestly, the when I got EBU. the, um, because uh, look, I've reported on Eurovision now for about seven years, and so I do know some of the names attached to it uh, that work at the EBU. Um, and I know some of the people um, that work there sort of on the peripherals. I'm not matey or pally with them, but I do know, you know, the, the, the names of the people that work the contest. So when uh, the email came in and I recognised one of the names from somebody quite important at the EBU, I was like, oh, <laughs> uh-oh, they're going to ask me to take out any reference to Eurovision. And I was a bit worried about that. But but yeah, it turns out they've been tweeting along and watching anyway oh, wow. <laughs> and, and they've been enjoying it and um I, I was blown away so the the thing that um they 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 can't obviously endorse some you know nutty guy that lives in Camberwell that just loves <laughs> Eurovision but they can support the fan communities and so I said well you know if I give you a list of um the the, the, the future episodes that we want to do maybe you could see to getting them on your YouTube channel and they did just that so they're working really hard because uh, I won't go all dorky and bore you with the um, copyright law and how it all worked but basically any Eurovision before the big rebrand in 2004 the older contests have so many copyright issues because of music and different broadcasters that it's actually hard to get those ones online and then some of the ones that are a bit more recent just haven't gone on the YouTube channel um, because there's not really been a huge impetus for them to do that but now that fans are wanting content and to watch stuff they're like well this makes sense we can just premiere a new episode and everyone can watch it at the same time and it is glorious i'm loving it it's worked really well because mm. originally when you guys first started it was very much a case of right let's all sync together and we'll press play yeah. at eight o'clock and that's fine and now kind of because the ebu have got involved and it's on the official youtube page for eurovision yeah they premiere it all together and you guys have like a special countdown and all this kind of stuff i know the countdown i was ah! like, i screamed when i saw that because <laughs> the first week they did it i didn't really understand what they were doing and i thought oh okay it'll go live or whatever and then like there was a 30 or a 60 second countdown and i nearly i wet my pants it was <laughs> so exciting um but also again it's just nice that there's a lot of when when i did the first couple it was quite difficult because you had to find versions that had gone onto youtube that didn't have too much commentary or had the full show because a lot of them didn't have the voting um and i didn't want anything with loads of terry wogan on it i'm afraid it's great that they've got these full shows that have every bit of it ready to be watched and the original commentary um i i yeah i'm so indebted to them they've, they've just done such a nice thing for the fans it's um it's been really really good and i can't imagine many other organizations being as proactively inclusive like they've been of, of their fans so i was gonna say i think i remember one week we listened to the norwegian uh, commentary which was very yeah. exciting <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no complaints. Absolutely no complaints whatsoever. Earlier you had mentioned that people also had voted as well. And kind of not only did you have sort of like uh, around 10,000 people watching, but you had like thousands and thousands yeah. of people voting for the competition as well. Like, because you are um, helped out from the voting perspective, aren't you? Because there's a lot that actually goes on behind the scenes. It's not just a, a few little cute tweets of some images and things yeah. like that. There's a lot that goes on. 
Yeah, it's quite tricky. Um, so the full team is myself. There's Dr. Ellie Chalkley. So she does all of the, the stats and the voting site. Um, she uses a system called, I think it's Mentimeter. And they emailed us this week to say that they were going to upgrade us because they thought it was such a, a cool fan project as well. Um, That's awesome. There's also my friend James Rawson, who is a QI elf. Um, he does all the videos for us, um, which I think were the things that probably got the attention of the EBU. And then there's my mate Mark Bowerman, who does all the scorecards as well. Obviously, I, I have to script it beforehand, get the screen grabs. It takes quite a long time to put this weird twitter project together each week so um yeah lots of love goes into it earlier you'd also mentioned that the lgbtq plus community do show a lot of love to eurovision and i think the love is kind of um, reciprocated as well from eurovision to us but why do you think we do that why do you why do you think we show so much love and when do you think that kind of started to begin because it does feel like it's happened quite organically it's it was never like eurovision is a queer event you know it feels like it's happened over a period i mean there were songs in the 50s i can't remember the specific one i'm going to go and look it up afterwards but i did write about this so bad on me for forgetting it but i'm so so terrible at retaining names and song titles especially if they were in french but there were songs about like <laughs> queer love in 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 you know the 50s and the 60s that were entered into the contest i think it's become a bit more a bit more overt over the years and certainly at the turn of the century everyone's a bit more open about their sexuality and their gender the reason why eurovision is so popular with lgbtq people is that it is a literal platform for you to to, to see yourself on so someone for example Dana International I don't think many people would have seen a really confident beautiful amazing talented creative and fearless trans person winning something before so that contest back in 1998 where she won I think would have done a lot for a lot of um, a lot of LGBTQ people similarly in 1997 you had Paul Oscar from Iceland who was just super queer and then in the more modern contests it's it's just now so prolific it's just really i think it's really nourishing for certainly for me as a as a queer person to uh to see myself re- reflected on screen in so many different ways and i think that has always come across especially in the early days all through the 70s and 80s and i do think you've got some of the older fans who would say the the same thing it's about seeing yourself up there on that platform do you think it, it still resonates with younger people yeah, more so than ever, absolutely. And I think there's, um, it's funny actually, because I think the way that the BBC has presented it, you know, when we we watched Moscow 2009, and beforehand I had to get a copy of it to do all the scripting and whatever. And the only copy I could find was the BBC version with Graham Norton. And it was really snarky in a way that none of the fans or the modern community really are about it. And I think there's been a bit of a turning point in the last four or five years where it's sort of been co-opted by younger people who take the competition element seriously but also they take the inclusivity of it seriously and so it really jars now when you go back and you watch something with you know really dodgy Terry Wogan commentary or, or some of the earlier Graham Norton stuff about you know talking about people's weight or you know how flamboyant they are there was one uh terry wogan comment about um oh who was it there was some back and forth between uh the greek 
host in Athens 2006 and a Netherlands presenter, and it was just a bit mean. Um, so I think that's changed a lot, and I think it's going to continue to change, and I think the audience for Eurovision will always be everyone and, you know, a big family and friends event, but I do think that the, the fandom is getting younger and younger and um, more savvy about LGBTQ rights, certainly. And it's fair to say as well that Eurovision is a competition. It never feels negative. It always yeah. feels really positive totally, and very, totally. very inclusive. So for yeah. me, that's I refer to it as gay Christmas. I refer to <laughs> it as like possibly the campest four hours you are going to get on primetime television. And yeah. it's like, it's a full on week. I mean, it's more than a week because, you know, there are obviously the song selection competitions that go on throughout the year, um, of which you have been to a few. You almost got caught yeah. up in trying to get back from them this year. But uh, like from a, from what Watching it on the BBC, let's say, within the UK, yeah, it's a full-on week. It's like you've got your mm. Tuesday, Thursday semi-finals, and then you've got the final on the Friday. I love it. It's fabulous, honestly. Never get so much <laughs> queer TV. I'm like, yes, come through. Right, so I have some quick-fire questions, which Ooh, you can okay. confirm you have not been told what these questions are before no, I've not. asked you them. Absolutely not. How many Eurovision Song Contests have you been to? Seven seven because you do not have like loads of magnets on um your uh, fan in your kitchen that yeah. are re- I've, have, have, how do you know <laughs> <laughs> because i saw you update your um uh, rotterdam 2020 when yes, you put I it on twitter yeah you can still buy merchandise for rotterdam 2020 okay. and i i just thought that was a really you know I, I i like to have that but also um my fridge magnet obsession is ridiculous i know we're not here to talk about my fridge magnet obsession <laughs> but i'm trying to visit Visit all of the capitals of Europe before I hit the age of forty, and I've not got many to still left to go. It's going to be a really tight squeeze because COVID nineteen. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I love fridge magnets, and uh, I'd, I've been to heaps of those places, and I've been to national finals as well. So this uh, earlier in March, I went to watch. UMK, which is the Finnish national selection. I thought Chichi Alina, um, Erika Vickman was going to win, but she um, she was robbed. So I've been to seven contests in total, but squillions of orbital events around it. What is your favourite song of the last decade from Eurovision? Hatari. Hatrith uh, um, Sigula. Oh, Iceland from last yeah. year. They were yes. great. Absolutely yeah. great. It's my style of music. The, the attitude that they have... I've been lucky enough to to meet and to become not not necessarily friends with a lot of the artists, but I, I sort of know them a little bit um, through doing interviews and stuff, and they're just the nicest guys. See, I'm I'm going to throw Fuego in there. To be honest with you, oh, that's a great song. Don't get me wrong, but um, and it would probably be in my top twenty um, of the last ten years. And she's great. She's really embraced the competition. Yeah, Eleni. Oh my God, Eleni doing that dance last year in this star leotard in <laughs> Israel was just. A, I think it's probably one of my Eurovision highlights. Absolutely. So I think that would be that. What has your or who is your favourite? Uh, winner of Eurovision B could be song or artist depending because I appreciate that some people are more a fan of the song than the artist oh do you know I've not I it's I think the definitive one is always going to be euphoria for me just because that 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 really did when I was talking earlier about there being a change of the competition I think you can see these certain points in time whereby the the competition evolves certainly after Birmingham 98 when the song language rule got relaxed and everyone could sing in english if they wanted to you saw a change uh things i think got supercharged after after euphoria because it's probably the most 
I don't want to say credible winner, but I do think it's the most mainstream winner that, that we've had for a long time. Um, Wasn't it the biggest points winner before they changed the pointing system in a few uh, a few years ago? Yeah, and it I, it was you could tell that it was going to win from the outset, and I yeah. think it got so much more interest in the competition. It got a new audience looking into it, and I think as well that it it, it really brought on board that that young audience that perhaps wasn't necessarily there in the same way that it is now. So I think probably Euphoria is my favorite my favorite song to have won. Hmm. My favourite winner as a person. But I think ABBA probably are the best winners of all time because, again, they're just incredible. Um, you, you look back at other people who have won it who have been really great. Ruslana, the stuff that she's done in, uh, in, in her political career in the Ukraine, I think that's incredible. Uh, people like Mons who carry a light for the Eurovision Song Contest. I did, all the winners bring something different to it. Netta as well. I love her to pieces when you see her posts and stuff. She's really creative and fun and her personality is so good. Um, I couldn't narrow it down. They're all, they're all winners to me. Best interval act. Oh, they're all terrible. <laughs> when have you watched Eurovision and thought, "Hey, oh, this is really good"? The what? What was the? Oh, I'm gonna hold on. I need to look this up. <laughs> Wikipedia. There was one so terrible last week. Um, where were we? It was Austria 2015, and the um, you can probably hear me tapping away. Oh, wasn't it the uh, wasn't it like um, the percussion band or something? Yes, like but that? he had an incredible yeah. name for his act, and I was like, mm. "What is this absolute?" bollocks um, <laughs> it, it was uh venue location format presenters theme song oh i don't think i'm going to be able to find this in time but it was terrible it was like it wasn't the most exciting thing i think charlie response... bobbins and his incredible percussion band as, yeah no, I, yeah horrible so i'm going to challenge you there um, yeah. and i'm going to say uh i would consider love love, oh, peace, love, love peace, peace peace of course i don't consider act. that an interval act oh, i just that's, that's art <laughs> Rob, thank you so much for your time. I really, really no, appreciate thank you. it. Thank you. And that, everyone, is the end of this special episode of Queer Talk. If you'd like to keep the discussion going, we're on Instagram at queer underscore talk. And on Twitter, we are queer talk underscore. Please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and Apple. Until next time. Bye. 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 Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.